Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. The carriage held but just ourselves and immortality. We slowly drove. He knew no haste and I had put away my labor and my leisure too for his civility. We passed the school where children strove at recess in the ring. We passed the fields of grazing grain we passed the setting sun. Or rather, he passed us. The dews drew quivering and chill. For only gossamer my gown. My tippet, only tulle. We paused before a house that seemed a swelling of the ground. The roof was scarcely visible. The cornice in the ground. Since then, tis centuries, and yet, feels shorter than the day I first surmised the horses' heads were toward eternity. In this season, we've explored lunar deities, cat goddesses, guardians of crossroads, and more. All of them shared one thing in common, and it's one we all kind of glaze over. They all guard and guide to the underworld as well. We tend to add this to their list of responsibilities, but very rarely are they just a god or goddess of death. The whole domain, the entire realm of the underworld, is a place where even the gods won't go in most pantheons. Because of the deep, dark mysteries of its very nature, we among the living almost always hold it at bay, respectfully and from a distance. But what if a death deity calls to you? What if that realm holds a key vital to your growth? I will warn you in advance that today's episode does go into the concept of death. I think by exploring these concepts, maybe there can be some food for thought to take away, some growth to be had. I chose to open today's episode with Emily Dickinson's classic Because I Could Not Stop for Death for a few reasons. It's a personal fave of mine, But also, it exhibits a woman's fearless descent into the afterlife as a gentle journey, a reflection of what was as she embraces eternity. And I think our goddess today would appreciate that perspective a lot. We've seen the ancient pyramids of Egypt, the caverns of Greece, and the fields of China, but this week, we travel to a pantheon beyond the clouds, where a majestic golden hall shines brightly and peacefully. The roof is made of golden shields, the rafters from warriors' spears. The great tree glasser stands at the entrance, the most beautiful tree in existence, full of gold and red leaves glowing in the sunlight. An aroma of roasting boar and spiced mead fills the air. Now that you have the beautiful image of Valhalla in your mind, plunge through the clouds to the earth. Through the earth farther and farther where everything gets dark and quiet and cold maybe even comforting after so many dazzling sights and a fall through the clouds the deity I bring you today has a similar dichotomy 
She can be described as terrifying and dangerous, or a kind and welcoming caretaker. Her face reflected this duality as well. She was half beautiful goddess, half rotten decay. She had many names, grave guardian, entombed goddess, matron of the dead. But for simplicity's sake, we'll stay with her most well-known name, Hel, Norse goddess of death. Hel was believed to hold dominion over all death, including that of the gods, arguably making her the most powerful deity in Norse mythology. Welcome to the Witching Hour. Balder, my son. You look especially well today. Did you sleep well? Actually, not really, father. I keep having the most ominous dreams. I truly fear that death will come for me soon. I have not seen it just once, but several times now. I assure you, you are safe here in Asgard. You're most beloved in the land, joyful and courageous. No harm can befall you here. Perhaps. Thank you, Great Odin. Father. Balder truly fears for his life. I must travel to the Underworld immediately and consult the Seeress. She is most wise and will know if there is any validity to this doom and gloom. I'll have to go in disguise for her to answer my questions. She may not want to share tales of my son. Guard! Prepare a slave near, my steed. I leave at dawn. Whoa! Easy, slave near. We were not expecting anyone, but you have come at quite a lovely time. Do come in. This beast looks divine. The flowers, they're exquisite. I don't mean to interrupt a magnificent party, but I do have a quest that is quite a pressing matter. Ah, oh, yes, of course. I'm at your service, my liege. How may I help? There are strange rumors abounding that Balfour, most beloved and cherished of Asgard, has come to fear for his life. For reasons unknown, he believes that death is near. <laughs> oh, it most assuredly is, my lord. What? That is who this magnificent feast is for. We must be prepared for Lord Balder. We've heard many a story of his courage and kindness and cannot wait to make him welcome here. He is our guest of honor. Balfour? It cannot be. How? Ah, most tragic. What begins as a game will turn on him. He will not die on a battlefield bound for Valhalla, but rather at the 
hands of a blind man's borrowed skill. What blind man? Where can I find him? Why, no one can circumvent death. Perhaps I've said too much. No, I must know. What game, at least? Ah, I was so excited from feast preparations I didn't notice at first. You've gotten quite excellent with your costumes, Odin. I might not have guessed, but I cannot tell you anything more about your son. Just know that we await him with a warm welcome, and he will be well loved here. Is there nothing I can do for him? I'm afraid not, my lord. It is not for us to stand in the path of fate. And with that, Odin had to return home, defeated, knowing the death of his son was inevitable. When he arrived in Asgard, he told his wife, Frigg, everything he had learned. She refused to believe it. Like any mother, she was desperate to save her son. She went to every being in the cosmos and made them swear they wouldn't harm Baldur. All of this sounds well and fine in practice, but hubris wasn't a principle found exclusively in Greek mythology. After all the oaths were made and they all felt safe, this once-upon-a-time danger became a joke. The gods threw rocks and sticks and literally anything else they could find at Baldur, and he stayed perfectly unharmed and they just kind of like laughed it off. You know who loves a good joke, though? Loki. You know what Loki loves more than a joke? A chance at some hardcore mischief, and if there was ever an open opportunity, this was it. Maid, more mead. Here you are, my lady. Madame, is it true that every and all things in the cosmos swear to never harm Lord Balder? Yes. Yes, isn't it wonderful, dear? Well, all except the mistletoe. I did forget to ask them. But they're so small and harmless. Baldur will be fine. Worry not, dear. He'll live to entertain you ladies for an eternity. <laughs> oh my! Indeed. Just mistletoe? Huh. I can work with that. I should have some lying around. Ah, here it is. They'll never see this little dart coming. Merry meet, Odor. Are you enjoying this evening's festivities? Merry meet, Loki. What is there for a blind man like me to enjoy? I can hardly partake in celebrating Baldur's invincibility. Now, now, don't be sad, old boy. You know I love a good game of throwing inanimate objects at Odin's son as much as the next. Here's a hefty branch I found. Why not give it a try? Here, I'll be your eyes and help guide your hand. And... What's in it for you, Loki? You're not but mischief and trickery. Right you are. But again, would I miss the chance to barrage Odin's son with stones and trees? Well, that does sound like it. 
Alright. Let's have a laugh then. Steady on. What? What's happened? It's impossible. Balder, my son, is dead. We can no longer avoid it. Ragnarok is near. This, this is the first presage. Now here's where things get a little more interesting. Frigg finally pulls herself together and asks who will be willing to journey to Helheim, where those who did not die in battle went and bargain with Hel for the return of Baldur. This is where Hel starts to differ from other deities in the Norse pantheon. No one but Hel holds dominion over Helheim, and she takes her duties so seriously that even the gods can't overrule her. All they can do is hope she can be negotiated with. So Hermod, another son of Odin, offered to travel below and bargain for the return of Baldur. While the gods waited for Hel's reply, they prepared this huge and lavish funeral. A funeral for a king. Gods, giants, dwarves, elves, all creatures from the nine worlds attended to mourn the most beloved son of Odin. But when it came time to launch the pyre and ship, the gods realized it had become so stuck in the sand it wouldn't budge. Hirokin, the strongest, brawniest giant in all of the cosmos, finally gave it such a mighty shove that the ship broke free of the sand. Baldur's wife Nana was so overcome with grief that she died instantly and was placed among the pyre with her fallen husband. All the earth and heavens stood and watched the flames disappear across the ocean and mourned the loss of Baldur. As they mourned, Hermit traveled nine days and nights deep into Hell's realm. When he finally arrived, he found Baldur in a seat of honor at Hell's side, sad and pale. Hermod begged and pleaded, offered handsome and generous ransoms for Baldur, telling Hel tales of great sorrow that had seized the world at his loss, and the sorrow of the gods as well. Hel told Hermod that if every being in the cosmos wept for Baldur, she would return him. But if even one refused, he would have to remain with Hel forever. And sure enough, that trickster Loki is always on hand for the last laugh. When Hermod returned, everyone did, in fact, weep for Baldur, except for one. A giantess named Tak, who was none other than Loki in disguise. And so Baldur was indeed lost to the land of the dead, never to return. I love this story because there's just so much to take away from it. The first thing I take away from this story is the respectful fear everyone has for Hel. They're not about to storm the gates and demand she give him back. They're going to ask really nice and then do whatever she says. Because, again, even the gods can't overrule death. But here's the thing. Once you start looking a little farther into death through Norse myths, often it's described as welcoming and warm. It's not a stereotypical hell with pitchforks and flames. It's a warm welcome, feasting, a home, in one story, a Viking king, King Hadengus, gets the chance to see the afterlife. When he finally reaches the wall of Hell's kingdom, he cannot climb over it. But his guide takes a dead crow and throws it over the wall, and then they hear the bird begin to caw. 
cementing to the king that there was still life to be found in death. So now this perception of death in Norse mythology is starting to form, but really, we still don't know much about Hel herself. But if we look at just her realm and these ideas that are starting to emerge, we can start piecing together that Hel isn't just this terrifying dominatrix of death, but also a welcome and gracious hostess who cares for her guests' needs. If you're looking into this sort of goddess for your pantheon, there's a good chance you have your own relationship with death. Maybe you've lost someone close to you. Maybe you seek answers for the life beyond the one you live in right now. Hell's able to walk among the living and the dead because she is both, and what I take away from that is that there's some life to be found in death. Hell is caring for our most beloved ones, our ancestors. She's seen to eternity. That's a position to approach with a great deal of respect. This isn't the kind of deity you just add to your pantheon and make demands of. A hellblot is a modern practice or celebration that acknowledges both sides of hell's nature. This ceremony gives her reciprocity for her kindness to our ancestors as well as keeping her at a distance, respecting her position and power. I learned about this tradition from an excellent YouTuber I would highly recommend if you're interested in Norse mythology. His name is Ocean Keltoy, and he did a video called Hell, the Norse Goddess of Death, Demonic Queen, or Caretaker of the Dead. And that's actually where I got inspired and took a lot of great information and perspective from for today's episode. But he explained how he performs his Hellblot. He performs it wearing a mask to signify that respectful distance while still honoring Hell. As part of his ceremony, he suggested writing prayers to your loved ones and burning them in offering to Hell. I lost someone close to my heart recently, and as soon as I heard this idea, I was on board. Like, what an amazing suggestion, not only to try and reach out to hell, but for my own healing, it seems super therapeutic. As far as ancient practices go, we don't really know how they actually honored hell in those times, so there's a lot of room to create your own practice. But those two facets, respect and distance, reoccur in a lot of the research I did for today's episode. A lot of witches who have a relationship with her described her as being caring and maternal, but strict. Which, when you think about it, makes total sense. If you're thinking Samhain might be a good time to honor Hell, you'd be right. Hell helps us find comfort in death and celebrates the life we lived, which just kind of encourages us to live our life to the fullest. Samhain honors our ancestors and allows us to peek through that veil while still having all the fun and shenanigans we know and love letting us celebrate life within death. She seems like a really misunderstood goddess. The Christian concept of hell as fire and torment automatically begins to shade this goddess towards a darker, more evil being. And I can't say the Marvel movies helped her either. Or being Loki's daughter. Really, she's got a lot of shade thrown at her right now, but when you start peeling apart all those layers to her nature, get to know more about her lore this image emerges of a very serious but nurturing goddess. While I don't know if adding a death deity is on my to-do list, I really came to love hell the more I got to know her. I think of my lost friend feasting in the afterlife, drinking wine, surrounded by flowers and candles and all of her loved ones who are waiting for her, and that is something I would want to honor. That's an afterlife I would choose. Living their best life in the afterlife. I super hope you guys are enjoying this all-new deity series that we've been bringing to you. 
We're getting ready to wrap the season here in just a few short episodes, but make sure you hit like, subscribe, leave a review. Let me know what you guys think. We're already getting ready to record the very next season, and we want to bring all new learning and all new resources to you. If you haven't signed up for our newsletter, make sure you check out our link tree at linktree.com backslash housecraftofficial, where you can sign up for our free monthly newsletter. Recently in these episodes, I've been taking the time to read an article or two from there to give you an idea of what we do. This month, I'm bringing to you an article called Reflecting the Past, Manifesting Your Future by our Mistress Teeter, Mistress of Many Things. She writes, You are not selfish to put yourself first. You must fill your cup before you share with others. The universe often gives us gifts, people, things, words of wisdom, a path to walk to learn something new. When we walk alongside others, we must ensure we aren't giving them anything but joy, positivity, and blessings. It looks different for each of us because we are each unique. We're our own advocates. We are human and often it just gets messy. You know yourself better than anyone ever could. In the past, you may have put others first, but what did you learn? In some spaces, it feels awkward and emotional to make the choice we know is better for ourselves because it often is at odds with others' preferences. Walk forward, bloom on, and share with others as often as you can. But don't forget yourself in the process. Again, that's from our totally free monthly newsletter. We feature all sorts of recipes, holiday guides, terrible tarot advice. We even do Witches of the Month. So make sure you sign up and check it out. Also, if you can, please, please feel free to join us on Patreon. It helps us keep all of these wonderful shenanigans rolling and all of our programs running. You can also find that on our link tree, again, at linktree.com backslash housecraftofficial. Also, make sure you check us out on Facebook. We have our own page as well as the group Housecraft Home for Wayward Witches, where witches from the community can kind of get together, chit-chat, compare notes. It's been really handy, actually. But more than anything, if you can't join our groups, if you can't join on Patreon, please feel free, please, 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 to leave us a rating and a review. It goes a long way for us. I also want to take a minute and say thank you to my entire Housecraft gang, my sister Kaylee Diaz with 50 States of Terror and my sound editor Kate Flower for always hopping in with voice acting at the last minute when I need it, and my brothers Justin and Taylor Day for always being on hand too, and my cat for being an amazing supervisor. Thanks for tuning in to yet another one of our Patron Deity series episodes. We'll see you next time on The Witching Hour. 